Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. So, friends of Jesus, right? Sounds so cute, doesn't it? Friends of Jesus. Just rolls off the tongue. So, when I started playing with this topic and I'm looking in the scriptures, I'm like, cool, let's look up some friends of Jesus. This should be easy, right? So, look at Peter and all these, the disciples. I got 12 cats to work from at least. Well, 11. So... <laughs> So I was like, I got a hot 11 to work with. I can't go wrong, right? And then in the middle of working on this, right, it kind of hit me. I'm like, how crazy is it that we actually get to call ourselves friends of Jesus? Like, how nonchalantly do we approach and function in that? You know what I'm saying? It's a blessing that we do get to just function in it, but it's a little psycho when we really look at who we're dealing with, right? And so... Let me just throw a scenario out so you can grab on what I'm talking about. So let, let's say that I told you Bill Gates, billionaire extraordinary, st- yeah, extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Sharkey said interpreted last week, so I can say whatever I want to, all right? <laughs> so y'all interpretate that, all right? So billionaire, billionaire extraordinary, all right? Bill Gates, what if I told you Bill Gates is looking for me, right? Like... The word on the street is Bill Gates is looking for Jay Harris, and he's like, yo, you know what I'm saying? I want to bring Jay in to my inheritance, you know what I'm saying? But let's say I'm like Microsoft crazy, right? And I've rolled for Microsoft crazy hard, and I've been all against, uh, you know, iPhone suck. You know that war, you know what I'm saying? I got an iPhone, by the way, you know what I'm saying? Hold on, hold on. No, no, no. iPhone, yeah, y'all get what I'm saying. All right, so I've been rocking the iPhone. And I've been against Bill Gates, Microsoft, their whole kingdom. I'm like, crush it. You would be like, what in the world? Why is, why is Bill hunting down Jay Harris, right? Like, what, what in the, why does he want to bring him into his inheritance? You understand? Know and then think about it this way. Let's say he actually wants to make me an heir, right, to the, to, the, to the billionaire extraordinaries, right? He wants to bring me into all the money, and then he wants to make me an ambassador to go down and hunt other people who are against his company, and bring them into the fold also. You would be looking at me like, Jay, what's going on with you, homie? Like, what do you have that Bill wants? And if I tell you, I'm like, I have absolutely nothing. I have nothing to offer. I have no idea why this guy wants to lavish me with this money, right? With this power. I don't, I don't know. It'd be absolutely crazy. But let's look at it from the framework of God, right? So a holy God... Angels flying around his throne all day long going holy, 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 right? The creator of heavens and earth, plants, flowers, fruit, Krispy Kreme donuts, bacon, he made all of that, right? My wife made that. Some of your brothers are smiling too hard when I said that. Y'all better, better watch it. But, but seriously, just think about it, right? The creator of heavens and earth is pursuing us to bring us in to his fold, to, to his inheritance, to be his friend, right? It's absolutely crazy. But it gets crazier when you look at it like this right here. So Romans 3.9 says this about us. It says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. 
For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. When it says Jews and Greeks, it's saying Jews and Greeks, meaning um, that Greeks are representing all of us, right? And it says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So it sounds like we're actually deserving of the wrath of God, right? And he stands as a righteous judge before us with the potential to crush us. But he's actually looking to pursue us and bring us into his riches. It's the craziest thing on earth, right? It's crazy for us to actually be nonchalant about that. Like, it's, it, like we're wicked, so why us, right? So when we think about Jesus and his titles, he's the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior. So it makes sense that he's looking to hang out with lost sinners, broken, wretches, um, violators of his holy commandments and enemies of God. One writer says it like this. Like a doctor wants to hang around sick people, like a surgeon wants to fix broken people, like a psychologist wants to calm, calm fear, fearful people, none of these professionals advertises, please go get better before you come see me. So neither does Jesus Christ, right? So it makes sense. He's the Messiah. He came to, to save the lost, Romans 3 type of lost people, like wretches, other enemies of God. So if he's the Messiah, he's, he's looking for the worst of the worst, right? It makes sense. If, you're, if, you, if you mow lawns, you're looking for somebody with a messed up lawn, right? If you're a toothbrush, you're looking for somebody with stink breath. It all goes together, all right? I'm just saying, all right? Let's read Matthew 9 real quick. So Matthew 9 says this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow, follow me. And he arose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house... Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining. Reclining, by the way, means chilling, like for real. Like he's in there chilling, all right? He says, with Jesus and all his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, right? So in this scripture right here, we have the Messiah, the, the Redeemer, and he's stating very, very plainly, I'm here for the sick. I'm here for the sinners. I'm here for Romans 3 type sinners. I'm going to keep pushing this at you. Just I need us to know how disgusting we are, right? Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. All right. I'm going to keep just jumping back to that just to keep us in an understanding of what God is actually doing here. Because when we talk about God wanting to be our friends, it's not as cute as it sounds. It's actually a lot better than that. But there's some dynamics here that are pretty absolutely amazing. And... Um, so let me just kind of say this real quick. In that scripture, we, we see a lot of times in scripture where you have like tax collectors are kind of said synonymous, synonymous, 
interpretate, interpretate, synonymously, interpretate. All right. <laughs> With uh, sinners. I'm going to get it for that one later. All right, no. All right, so anyway, so tax collectors and sinners. So here's what we need to know. I was looking this up, like, why were tax collectors so hated? They're just doing their job, you know what I'm saying? But here's the thing. When Roman government came in back in the day and they set up shop and they're oppressing the people, you had people who they're like, hey, listen, we got to tax the people. You know, you work for us, we'll put you in a position you can get a little bit of money, you know? So it's almost like if somebody came in to oppress us and you're like, man, this is messed up. But then you cut a deal with them and you're not going to work for them. So they, were, they, they had the disdain of the people like in a real real messed up way because they're like traitors. They're looked at as being disloyal. And on top of that, they adjusted the scales to make sure it was common practice that they would adjust the scales, get a little extra money on the back end, right? So the people were like, you're one of us, yet you're, you're with these people devouring us, right? So they had no love for them. It's like one of those things where like, you have that disdain for people and somebody's like, hey, so-and-so just got killed. You're like... Anyway, let's hurry up and get the Whataburger. They're about to stop doing breakfast. Let's go. You don't even care. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so that's the kind of hate that they actually had, right? And then this other statement he says here. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This stuff is really, really big right here because the Messiah is stating to us exactly why He's on the scene and he's in the mix with the worst of the worst, right? And so this, um, this, this verse right here, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This statement comes from Hosea 6.6. 6. And let me just read that to you. It says, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. So that's where that quote that we saw in Matthew comes from. And then it says the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So where he says your love disappears like the morning dew is based on the idea that he's saying, I don't want your empty rituals, Right. So when he's talking to the Pharisees who are going, why are you hanging with these people? And he says, go learn this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's saying, y'all think y'all are cute because you do your religious get up and you do your prayers five times a day. But he's saying it has no heart whatsoever. Mercy does, uh, requires for us to look somebody in the face, to feel their pain. It requires relationship, right? So he's saying, I don't. I don't want your phony stuff. And in, in, in all honesty, he's really throwing them a bone because he's, he's the king of kings. He could crush them on the spot for being disrespectful. But he actually throws them a bone because he knows that they're rooted. Their whole thing is that they're caught up in the Old Testament and all of the laws and rituals and everything else. So when he says, um, I came for the righteous, excuse me, I came for sinners and not the righteous, right? He's basically giving them a chance to go back, research this, Look inside of Hosea 6, see that they're guilty of what he's talking about, right? And go, oh my God, this is us, religious, empty rituals, and then come back as sinners, right? God is, Jesus is slick. There's nothing to play around with, all right? There's nothing to play around with. All right. 
So he's, he's plainly stating, I don't want your heartless sacrifice. He wants something real, born out of love, friendships, co-heirs and co-workers and doing the Father's work. And uh, it's important to say that when we're saying friends, because I can imagine that from your side listening to this right here, it could just sound like a word we're using, but as we go on, you're gonna actually see where he literally talks about us being his friends. So it's not just a fluffy word to use in the situation, but that concept of friends, it doesn't negate the, 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 the um, it doesn't make equality between us. Do you understand? So he's still father, he's still Lord, but a part of this dynamic relationship we have with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, friendship is actually a part of it, right? As we grow with him, friendship is a very core part of it. And, um, and he's facilitating that through mercy. He is decreeing that he is on mission from the Father, and the Father wishes to redeem sinners, specifically Roman three type jacked up people. And so he's saying, I desire mercy. And mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who is within one's power to punish or harm. So mercy is the, way by the, is, is the way by which the Lord is going to redeem the lost. And it's going to specifically happen through a mercy offering, which is going to be Jesus himself giving himself for us. And so he facilitates this mission through mercy. Um, the only way a righteous judge and an offender can come together is mercy. So you remove the mercy and you have wrath. The offender is powerless in this situation. So what I'm actually saying here is that as how could we talk? How could God come talk to us, right? Like, if we're guilty of, if Romans 3 describes us in our sin and our brokenness, how could there ever be a conversation between us and God? There's no way for it to happen, but for him, it's on him. We can't do anything. We're, we're, we're at, you know, we're at his mercy. So it's facilitated through mercy. And, and, and I'm saying that because I'm jabbing at this idea of how we're nonchalant. Like, it takes the mercy of God for us to even be able to glance up at him. For us to be sitting here breathing his air, for us to be able to come together as friends, laugh, crack up, have a good time. I mean, he could flood the whole place out and kill us all. And he would be just in doing it. We're Romans 3 type people. All of us. Some of us don't want to grasp that, but it's the truth. And that's the offense of the gospel. That's why when the gospel is preached, it becomes very, very offensive. This was super offensive for me to even work through. Because the more I looked at it, the more I started feeling like it was just absolutely crushing me. Because I think I had this kind of, this kind of cute box that I thought I was in, like, I'm jacked up, but I ain't jacked up like jacked up, jacked up, right? But I'm, I'm listening, I'm reading this, and I'm like, man, I'm jacked up like jacked up, jacked up. Like, I'm literally, like, desperate for the cross. Like, I have no other, there's no other option here. And, 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 and for me to grasp it and get a hold of them for real, I need to be able to see myself for real, right? It's like when we, it's like we start doing this, this thing and we're walking with God and we think of, like, this growth of just getting better and stronger and, and, but a lot of times it looks like us seeing our brokenness more and more and more, right? And it's hard to see, but it also makes his mercy and his grace that much sweeter, right? So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird type, it's a weird dance going on here, a very weird dance. Um, like what do we have here in this room? If we don't have mercy, 
between each other, right? Because this, this is one of the gifts he gave, gave us when he actually um, stepped into our world, right? And he made us his friends. He says it over and over in the scripture. Love one another. I did this so you would love one another, right? He, he, he made the example of walking and showing mercy to the least of these. As a righteous judge, he let us off the hook, right? So when we leave out, we're about to explode with joy because we've been just let go of a debt that we can never, ever pay off so we wouldn't go arrest other people when they offend us. That's how a church is knit together, through mercy. It cost him his blood for it to happen. Think about it. In this church, we have some rough conversations, right? We talk about black-white issues. We talk about Trayvon uh, Martin. We talk about Jordan Davis. We talk about cops getting killed. We talk about white versus black, black versus white. We don't dance around that stuff in here. I've never been in a church that has those type of conversations. It doesn't make us better. Sometimes I think it makes us out of our mind. But nevertheless, we desire that realness, that we can really be close and be connected for real, right? So we talk about it. But there's no way to talk about it without mercy in between us. How are we going to do it? Because I'm going to step on your toes and you're going to step on my toes. But if we have mercy, we're still linked up. We're still together, right? Jesus was so concerned with this idea of family. I know I say it all the time. I know I say it all the time, but he was really, really, really concerned with the idea of family, with, the, with his body, with his people, with his believers, with his followers. Like, it was at the core of what he was about. Like, we don't talk about it like that, but it's one of the things he came for. That separation between God and because he knew there's nothing for us outside of his mercy but hatred, separation, division, racism, classism, elitism, all these isms that will end up with us just covering the ground with blood for each other. That's where it's headed. That's where it's headed. Unless there's mercy. Unless there's the work that he did, right? Unless we have grace for each other. How can this work? It can't work. It never has. It never will. Only by the blood of Jesus, right? You know, there's the... Um, there's a video on Facebook, and, um, and it was, y'all might have seen it, but it was this lady that she, uh, the, I guess, so she was feeding her baby, and the baby threw up, and then she slaps the baby off the couch. Have any of y'all seen that video? It's like, it, like you, you can only watch it one time, because if you see it, you just like, <sighs> but she hit the baby so hard, the baby like somersaulted off the couch, right? And uh, the story was that her husband came home, he beat her severely, um, called the cops. The cops, after seeing the video, didn't even arrest him. You know, and I just was thinking about this lady and as I was doing this. And I just was thinking about, like, my disdain for her, right? And then I'm reading this right here. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, man, Jesus would have had her chilling with him, reclining. Right. Because the people he reclined with, they were so offensive to, to other people that kind of thought they were good. Right. Um, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, when um, 
he, Zacchaeus is the short guy that was in the tree. He couldn't see Jesus when he came through. And so, um, feeling like Zacchaeus want to come through. All right, sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, so, <laughs> so, so, um, so anyway, Zacchaeus was like, he's too short to see or whatever, right? But you see it in the scriptures. Jesus sees him. He's like, Zacchaeus, come here. Zacchaeus comes over. He goes, yo, man, I'm meeting at your house today. You know, he's like, I'm having dinner at your crib. And so everybody starts grumbling. Like, yo, you don't know this is, so this is a tax collector. He's that real kind of filth. Get what I'm saying? Everybody's watching. They're upset because of the mercy. Like, came to show him mercy. Zacchaeus, that day's, I mean, I mean, Jesus tells Zacchaeus, like, salvation's coming to your house. Zacchaeus is like, hey, I'm going to give away half of what I got. And he said, if I've taken anything unjustly, I'm going to give it back fourfold. Some of us, it's hard to get to Romans 3, how broken we really, really are, right? It's hard to get to it. But I think about this lady on this Facebook video. I imagine if Jesus rolled up on her, it wouldn't be nothing to get to. She's straight up social network famous for knocking a baby out. She's probably the disdain of her whole city, let alone the world, right? Where can she show her face at? She's like the woman at the well having to come out at all type of awkward hours trying to make sure nobody sees her, doing what she needs to do, just getting water to live every day. So when Jesus rolls up offering mercy, she's like, yo, Romans 3, I need that. I need that. What's hard as I was digging in the scriptures because I'm just, I'm looking at it and I'm like, yo, this is, I see Romans 3, I see it. You know, I get it. I don't want to be that messed up. I don't want to be that messed up. And for me, for our context for today, that lady was easy for me to use, you know, because of that video and the taste it put in my mouth. But the fact of the matter is we are that messed up, right? We really, really are. And uh, it's hard to wrap our mind around. Um, I started thinking of whatever. I was like, I remember when Jesus was making me his friend, right? And uh, I feel weird saying this or whatever because I feel like friend is the cliche word to use right now while I'm preaching. But after... Um, going through this particular topic, it's not cliche anymore. Like, I actually know that I'm really his friend. So, and I realized that's what he was doing. He was making me his friend. But I felt like this lady, I did, you know? I may have forgotten a little bit, but when he was making me his friend, I felt like this lady. And so, I, I remember, y'all may have heard me say this before, but I used to have this phrase I used to say, and I used to always say, man, so, yo, we up in here like a pack of pack of demons. That's what I used to say with my crew all the time. And it used to make everybody frustrated. Like, yo, stop saying that. You know what I'm saying? And uh, they're like, why do you always say that? I was like, I, I, I just was at this place. I was like, there's no point of trying to clean it up anymore. Like, what we do is demonic. Like, it's the devil's work. Like, I just got to a place where I got done playing with it. Like, I, I, I was, I knew I was in Romans 3 condition, right? And so, there's two things specifically that I remember during that time. As God was wooing me towards him, and um, 
bringing me into a relationship with him. Sorry, hold on one moment. There's two things specifically I remember. There's two things with this right here. It was the, uh, it was the mercy. Because what was going on, I knew I was broken. I felt God calling me. And, I, and, 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 and the Holy Spirit was moving on me. And I was like, God, I'm following, right? But as I went to go follow, I was still acting up. So, and, and boy, man, I was acting up, right? So, I'm coming from the club, partying at night, popping pills, ecstasy, talking to Martians and all type of stuff or whatever, like out of my mind drugged out. And then I'm standing outside of the church and I'm scared to death to go in. That was like my every week thing. Outside of the church, scared to death to go in because I'm like, I'm jacked up. Like, I'm too filthy to go up in here. But every time, I could not believe the mercy. I could not believe that the Lord would just welcome me in the door. I couldn't believe how he would be like, yo, homie, repent of that. We got something to do. Matter of fact, that's the second thing I'm going to say. I couldn't believe his relentlessness to bring me into this friendship. Like, I didn't know that it, it like, it like, you know, I, I, can't, I decided to follow. I was following, but I didn't know that he came with a mission. And that surprised me. Like, it surprised me because I felt like every time I woke up, like, the Lord was like, yo, come on, bro, wake up. Let's roll. We got stuff to do. And then when I come in just limping because I feel like a scumbag because all my sins, like, I don't got time for this. We got somewhere to go. And I'm like, what in the world is this right here? That's not what I expected from the Lord. But mercy kept wooing me towards him, kept bringing me deeper into this relationship. I didn't even completely get it yet. But through mercy, he was establishing this friendship. And I was like, man, he's a friend. Because every time I'm laying on the bottom, I look up, nobody's around but him. He's like, homie, get on up. We got stuff to do. It's like that friend that shows up for y'all to work out. And you in the bed like hungover and they like, yo, we about to go jog. That's some old Nick Verichoff type stuff. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's like, what's up, bro? Let's run. I'm like, man, I'm not running, man. Right? It's amazing. It's nothing to be nonchalant about. It's nothing to be nonchalant about at all. I just messed it up, interpretate. <laughs> but just think about that for a second. Let that really, really sink in. Like, tactically, what is going on. That Jesus, that, that, that God has sent Jesus. He's on a mission to bring us into relationship with the Father to redeem us, right? Ministry of reconciliation. Those who are enemies with God being brought back like he sent us out to pursue people who are actually enemies of God. I think today in the American church, a lot of times we forget that that's what the mission actually is because I think we pick and choose people we can digest more so than people who look like Romans 3, right? I know I do sometimes. I'm like, man, they're a mess. I don't want to get involved with that. But Jesus like dead in the middle of that. Also taking on the disdain that comes with 
rolling with people like that. He's numbered with prostitutes. He's numbered with adulterers. He's numbered with the drug dealers. He's numbered with every outcast of society because that's who's sitting around him, right? But he's not kicking it just to kick it. It's important we know that. He's coming with mercy, and the mercy is meant to lead to the mission, right? I'm going to show you that in the scriptures. Um, let's, read, uh, let's read John 15. So we're going to read John 15, 12 through 17. All right. He says, says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whenever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you, the things I command you, so that you will love one another. Y'all hear that? 17, it ends, the things I command you so that you will love one another, so, this, so that this can happen, so that we can be in church, so we can be a body be in unity, right? That's one of the works he's doing. And then he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. In other words, so this transition happens when we go from, so the, the concept of servants here is that we've said we'll follow. Like he called, um, he called Peter, he called Matthew, all of them, he said, hey, follow me. So everybody follow they were with him. He loved them. He was friends. They were receiving mercy. They were being taught day by day. But then it comes to this point where they, it's been revealed to them what the Father is doing, and, and, and they're all in, right? And he's like, we're friends now because we're yoked in what the Father is doing. Jesus is saying, I'm on mission. I only do what the Father tells me to do. And, and they, they've crossed into that as well. We're doing what the Father's called us to do. We're taking up this cross. We're dying daily. We're pursuing the mission. We're a part of the ministry of reconciliation. We're pursuing those who were like us, completely hated God, other enemies of God, and we're bringing them in the fold through mercy, through love. So that's that crossover. That's that graduation happening right there. Um, let's also read John's, uh, let's read John 13, 12 through 17, not John's. Or we can call it John's. I guess he owns it. Just interpretate. All right. So, you know, I think we only have John 13, 12 through 17 up, but I'm actually going to read from verse 5. It says, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what, am I, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, 
Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, you see that? I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So one of the things I want to point out right here is this right here. The dynamic between the relationship, I mean, be, be, between Jesus and Peter is really, really crazy. Um, because, I don't know, Peter, he just blundered a lot up and we'll get into it. But right here where he tells Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. What Jesus is basically telling him like, homie, we can't be friends. If I do not wash your feet, you can't be my friend. You can't be a part of what's going on here. You can't be heir. You can't join me in my kingdom. You can't roll with me. I have to wash your feet, right? This is important because Peter had a hard time grasping that he was Romans 3. He was full of self-confidence, full of self-righteousness, and in his heart, he wanted to be the diehard, like, I don't play around, I'm down for the cause. But what's amazing is how God, how, 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 how the Lord saw fit to break him in that and then extend his mercy at the same time, right? Like, he let, he let him be broken. And let me just show you what that looks like. So, a couple things Peter did. When Jesus, when they come to arrest Jesus, Peter cuts off, I think, the high priest's servant's ear, right? So he picks up the ear like, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Straight gangster with it, right? Cuts the ear off. And in one text, Jesus says like, he looks at him and he's like, yo, I know I'm putting this into my own language, but y'all get what I'm saying, interpretate. So he looks at him, he goes, yo, you gonna stop me from doing the work of the Lord? Like he's basically saying like, homie, don't you know I have to get on this cross for you? Like chill out, and he throws my man's ear back on. Just throws it on there like, stuck on it, right? And then, uh, when Jesus starts to reveal to them, like, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be killed. Everything. Peter's like, never that. That'll never happen to you, Lord. Jesus calls Peter a stumbling block. He says, yo, you're a stumbling block. He says, get behind me, Satan. He said, you're not about the things of the Lord. Peter's missing it. This is right-hand man rolling with him every day. Peter's completely missing it. God is letting them just, the Lord is letting them crash into brick walls. But it's a, it's a two-step dance. He already knows what it is. He's going to bring Peter into the mission. We're going to see Peter go from the Peter that denies Jesus three times to the Peter that's like, yo, turn my cross upside down when y'all kill me. 
and make me some um, jasmine lemon tea so I can just drink it upside down like this. Whatever. Like He went from that guy completely scared to death, hiding from the serving girl. Like, I don't know Jesus. I don't know. That wasn't me, man. I don't know who that was. To kill me, kill me. And look at the process. He was stumbling, but God, through his mercy, is walking with him, wooing him, dealing with his brokenness, not running from him, not like, oh, you're a mess, I'm out of here. He didn't do that. Like the mercy's laid right, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch because this is what it took for us to say we're friends of God. It's nothing to just wink at, it's crazy. Friends of God, that's what we get to say. Jesus, long-suffering, patient, and merciful, he never cast off Peter, showing an example of love that would bear fruit and produce a friend. Peter ends up denying Christ three times. And as you can imagine, Peter probably felt like the lady who slapped that baby off the couch. He was, he was feeling exposed. He was feeling like the lowest of the low. And Jesus goes into the, he dies on the cross, goes into the tomb, raises up three days later. And when he comes back, he's looking for Peter. And he's like, yo, where's my friend at? Where's my friend? Just think about what that is. The God, the creator of heaven and earth. Where's my friend? Tell him. Tell him I'm here. Go get him. Yeah. Right? It's not about what it took us to be his friend. It's like what he did for it to happen. It's unfathomable that a majestical king would pursue his utter enemies that he would become a man, the humility in that, be beat, abused, trampled on, that we could come into a relationship with him. So why would he want to be our friends? Because he is the Messiah, Messiah, Savior, and we are lost. We are condemned in our sins. We are separated from his love and salvation. And he has such a problem with it that the most holy God, by his power and love, humbled himself and became flesh. He suffered the disdain of being numbered with the sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, thieves, perverts, power abusers, abusers, racists, every type of scum society has to offer. He wore those titles just by association. He allowed himself to be understood, devalued, ridiculed, and ultimately killed that we could be friends. To pay for our sins. To bring us into his family. To make us heirs with him. There's, a, there's this uncomfortable thing that when I actually touch on this topic, there's this thing where it's like, when I approach the idea of preaching about being friends with Jesus, I almost want to say it like, Jesus is my homeboy, like the t-shirt, you know what I'm saying? I want to I sell it to you like that, you know what I mean? 
I just want to be like, man, he's, he's cool, super cool. And he is cool, you know? But there's this thing that I can't do it like that because it's not like that. The way it is, it's, it's bloody. It's gory. It involves suffering. It involves a whip going across his back. The Bible says he was beat so that he didn't even look like a human anymore. I don't even have a category to place that in. You know, so he's definitely a friend of us, right? Because he saved us and he put everything on the line to save us. I'm going to wrap up with that and I'm just going to pray us into... Um, I'm going to pray us into the Lord's Supper. Um, I really wanted to do such a cute little sermon for friends of Jesus, but it's, it's just not like that. It, it is just one of those things that's so big, it just kind of leans on you and puts its weight on you. Um, Jesus says that when we take the table, that the blood represents, excuse me, the, the drink represents the blood that he shed for us, um, that he spilled on our behalf, right? The bread represents his body being broken. It's an expensive meal. Like, we're going to get a small bite of it, but it's an expensive, expensive meal, right? And it's a meal only reserved for people who are friends with Jesus. Like everybody, it says in the scripture, if you're not my homie, don't, don't, don't eat it. It doesn't say homie, but you know what I'm saying. Because it's expensive. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not, it's not a cheap tradition. It's not, it's not sacrifice. It's mercy. Right? It's mercy. So, praise him, y'all can come up. If you're a believer, when you take this, realize, like, this is what made us friends right here. This is what brought us in. If you're not a believer, then this is an awesome opportunity, an awesome opportunity for you to come take the supper and become a part of the family. If the Lord's moving on you like that, it would be crazy not to. You don't have to figure it out. Peter didn't have it figured out, but he decided to follow. He heard the Lord call and he followed. He followed. And all this mess, even though he was jumping in front of what the Lord was doing, cutting off ears, getting it all misconstrued, right? Lord was con con the Lord was committed to him through mercy to walk it out with him. Um, I just, I know that, you know, I'm just, I'll, you know, I'm just, at, I'm at this place or whatever, and I know I'm stumbling through this, but I just, uh, Man, I hate to see my friends that I know not in this with me. I hate it. I hate that I know there's people that, there's people outside of this building. We all have friends. We all have people we know. We all have family members that 
man, it needs to make us ache for them to miss this. It needs to make us ache. And we need to do our part as friends. That, that transition that I talked about, where he went from servants to friends, it had some weight on it. The weight on it was that you are aware of the mission. I've told you everything the Father's told me, and we rolling together. So we may need to, when we take this, we need to remind ourselves that we, we're in it. There's a mission to be done. There's, this costs something. And because we've been made so rich, let's go spend it on something. Let's go spend it pursuing people, loving them, right? It's a beautiful thing to be invited into. So I'm just go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you, Father, for your word, Father. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, we thank you for dying on the cross for us. Um, Lord, it's hard for us to grasp with our, our mere mental minds what this actually is and what you did. It's hard for us to grasp how high above us you sit. And so it's super hard for us to be grateful for how low you came. But Father, with everything in us that can grasp it, Father Lord, and that your Holy Spirit reveals to us, we thank you, Lord. We exalt you as King. We exalt you as Lord. And we thank you, Father Lord, that when we find ourselves broken on the floor, looking at the real us, not the fake one, but the real us that looks like Roman three, that acts more like an enemy to you <laughs> than it does a, a friend and a disciple and a servant and a follower. When we see that person, Father Lord, we thank you, Father Lord, that you're standing there with your hands out as a friend. That you're the only one standing there. When rock bottom is where we're at, you're standing there with us. And we thank you, Father Lord, that you gave your blood, Father Lord, that we can eternally, Father Lord, come into what you're doing and what you've done and be heirs with you, Father. So no matter how hard it gets on this earth, we can be content in the fact that we've been made rich in you and one day we'll see you. So we honor you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.